The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I do welcome you. It's going to be an exciting day uh, celebrating what God has done. Um, In the six short months that we've been having a public gathering, God is uh, making his name known among us. He is making disciples. He is bringing conversions. He is, the Holy Spirit is moving, and we are just super excited about what God is doing, has done, and continues to do. Uh, normally, we just preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, but we're on an eight-week series because we kind of grew pretty fast. We're on an eight-week series called Sacred City DNA, just going through what makes us um, a church, what makes us maybe different from maybe something you've experienced before, and that's kind of what we're in today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go ahead and jump in and get started. Father, I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the work you've been doing um, through this young church in the Quad Cities. I thank you for your son giving the ultimate price, paying the ultimate price, giving the ultimate sacrifice for us and for our freedom on the cross on Calvary. I pray that you would think through my mind this morning and speak to my vocal cords. I pray that you would allow people to hear what you're trying to say to them So many times, Jesus, you said, they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. I pray that we would see and we would hear this morning. Um, Give me clarity, and I know your word never returns void. So this is for your glory and for your name and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what God has done and who he has created us to be in the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Now that's key. It sounds might sound trite, but it's key for us to understand what's going on. Um, In this series called Sacred City DNA, we do not define ourselves, listen, this is key, we do not define ourselves by what we do. Many people say, well, what's a church? A church is people who they worship, or a church is when they come together and they sing songs, or a church is when they serve the poor, or a church is when... We don't define ourselves by what we do, or don't do, that's moralism or legalism. We define ourselves by what God has done on our behalf. So we spent the first two weeks talking about God's mission and God's gospel, and then we spent the last two weeks talking about some of the implications of that gospel and how God has made us into family. If you have been, if you've accepted Christ and you've been given a new heart, you've been adopted into the family of God. So you have a new family now, a new father, a new older brother in Jesus Christ, and a new brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Last week we talked about how God also, not only does he make us family, many times we stop there, but God has also made us into missionaries and he sent us out on mission. Not our own mission, but on his mission. We get to carry his mission. We are ministers of reconciliation. We've been reconciled and now we are ministers of reconciliation. So we consider ourselves, we don't do missionary stuff, we are missionaries. Everywhere we go, we're missionaries. Now this third week we're going to talk about what it means to be servants. Uh, I know last week was a long one. This week will not be. Uh, you can download the sermon if you've got a really big iPod or a really big uh, iPhone. You can get that one. It's a long one. All right? It's a big one. I'm just going to tell you. But uh, I felt like we had to cover a lot of material last week. So you can check that out. This week we're going to be hitting are the identity that Christ has given us, the identity that God the Father has given us as servants. We, we say that we are a family of missionary servants. Sent by God and empowered by God to bring renewal to the Quad Cities. He's done the work, but we are his ambassadors uh, working through it. And it, as you hear each sermon, um, you've got a DNA packet. If you didn't get one of those packets, they're at the box office on the way out. It's kind of like a devotional that will take you through all eight weeks of the series. We've only got three, or I think three left after this. 
Um, but you can take that as you're working through it. I'm praying that God is showing you what he's done. And, and you're not just hearing, oh, this is what i got to do. Oh, Christians act like this. Okay, if I'm going to be a part of this club, then I need to do these Christian things. It's so easy for you to come in, settle in, and start looking around and say, oh, Christians raise their hands. Okay, I'm going to start doing that now. Oh, Christians sing. Okay, I'm going to start singing. Oh, Christians are in a missional community. Oh, and you just adopt the behavior, and you, you haven't had your heart changed. That this is a new identity that Christ has given us before it comes out of any new behaviors. It's crucial that you know that. So we want to, we've prepared a packet for you to kind of work through that in a daily devotion type setting. So if that would interest you, they're back at the, uh, uh, the box office. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is who you are. You are a member of the family of God, you are a missionary, and you are a servant. I promise you, this message today, it's going to be a little painful before it gets pleasant. Alright, I'm just throwing that out there right away. It's going to be painful before it's pleasant, but if you stick with me, I think you're going to be glad that you did. The Bible teaches that Jesus was God's Son from all eternity past, but in the year 3 AD, roughly, he was born to the Virgin Mary. This Jesus was sent by God to show us what God was like and to bring us back into good relationship with God. That's why Jesus came, to show us what God was like and to bring us back into relationship with the perfect holy God. We say that Jesus was the God-man. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. God Jesus as God and Jesus as man, 100% each. As a man, Jesus loved to tell stories, right? As God, Jesus was the perfect storyteller. There has never been in the history of the world a greater storyteller than Jesus. Some of Jesus' stories are known by people who have never read the Bible or never even heard the name of Jesus. Today's story is one of those stories. If you watch the news... Um, you will sometimes hear them refer to someone who has done some selfless act as a good Samaritan. Oh, a random good Samaritan helped blah, 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 blah. Right? In this instance, these people are showing you what I'm talking about here. They are using a biblical reference from the story that we're going to study today, and they're using it today. They don't even probably know it has a biblical significance and where it comes from, but they're using it today. This story is known around the world as the story of the good Samaritan. I think we're going to see a little different twist on it today. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to open our eyes to it today. I believe that this story has kind of been hijacked by moralism. This kind of story has been hijacked by people wanting to tell us, just go be a good person. Go, Jesus loves these types of people. Go act like this. And we're going to study it today. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or an Android app that has the YouVersion Bible app, you can pull that up. All of our liturgy, all of our scripture is right there, automatically there for you. Um, you just hit live event and search Sacred City Church. And it's right there. So I want you to follow along with me today. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And when you're there, let me know by saying there. All right, we're going to read it through, and then we'll come back and kind of dissect it a little bit. All right? Jesus is speaking here, and behold, a lawyer 
is actually a religious lawyer. This is um, similar, similar to a seminary pro professor of the day. He was an expert of the law. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, it's a sworn enemy, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Two denarii, that's about, uh, denarii is about a day's wage back in that day. So two days' wage. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, Jesus said? religious leader replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is an absolute amazing passage, and I'm just going to tell you, I would love to spend two hours sitting in here and walking through this and talking about every little detail of it. I'm not going to do that this morning. Some of you just, you know, you can breathe out and breathe a sigh of relief here. I'm going to try to crush through this, okay? That's what I'm trying to do. So I'm going to miss some stuff, but I'm going to go through, and I'm going to try to hit the high points as much as I can, all right? This story, I believe, is so timeless, it's so classic, it's told by the perfect storyteller, the God-man Jesus Christ. But many of us, especially if you grew up in a religious context, this story has been ripped from its original context and given to us as a moralistic, go-be-a-good-person story. Majority of us hear this story and we're like, oh, the Good Samaritan. Okay, yeah, that's what I need to be. If I'm going to be a good Christian, I need to be good like that. Right? But the text, doesn't the text say that? I mean, Justin, are you, doesn't the text say that? Jesus specifically says, yeah, go do likewise. The text does say that, but I'm going to tell you, that is not the point of the story this morning. That is not the point of the story. The point of the story is in verse 29. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 shows us the key to this passage. This is the religious leader speaking, the religious man speaking, and he says this, but he, desiring to, what's the word? Justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? That is the key to understanding this entire passage. We've got to understand who's talking, what's going on, but this religious leader, this expert in the Old Testament, this expert in the religious law, he has this desire to justify himself. Now we're going to 
dig into that a little bit, but I want to just give that to you up front. A lot of times it's fun to build like some momentum and build some, you know, and then you get to this crescendo of a message. But today I'm just going to throw it to you right up front so you can chew on it for a little bit. I don't have much time, so you can chew on it, and we're going to get there for a little bit, in a little bit. So, this religious lawyer, pretty much like I told you, a, a sem- let's just say a seminary professor of our day. He's an expert in the Old Testament. He comes to Jesus, and this is what he basically says. Jesus, how do I get eternal life, right? What am I made for? How do I live forever? How can I be fulfilled? Jesus, how do I get into your family? He's asking these you know, an existential question, the big question that we all ask. What am I made for? How do I live forever? What, how do I get eternal significance and eternal meaning? He's asking a really big question, right? Theoretical, existential question. He's up there in the clouds, right? And I love how Jesus fires back. Jesus doesn't just give him a little textbook answer. He's like, you're an expert. What do you think? What does the, what does the Old Testament say? What does the law say? You tell me. Jesus is a phenomenal storyteller. Even right now, if you've ever had a good teacher, you know how a good teacher will like give you little bits of breadcrumbs and lead you along this path, and all of a sudden you think you're getting there on your own, but he's actually leading you, and all of a sudden you're backed into a corner, and the only way out is the truth. And sometimes you're confronted with it, and you don't want it to be the truth, but you've been led there, and you get there, and you see, oh, this is what Jesus is doing right now. He's dropping breadcrumbs. He's leading him along a path. He's a brilliant storyteller. The religious lawyer answers because they've memorized this to summarize all 600 and so laws of the Old Testament. They learn to summarize them in this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Boom! What's the meaning of life? How do I get to eternal life? How do I get you know, existential happiness? How do I get up there? How do I get above my problems? How do I get you know, all the, the answers that Jesus says? Yes. Love. And that, that, should, that should resonate with us, us this morning. Many of us, we've had that experience with love. We, we feel love is something bigger than us. Love is something worth living for. Love is so, And sometimes when we don't have it, we feel like life is not worth, worth living without it. And Jesus, leading him along here, says, Yes, love will get you what you're looking for. Love will get you eternal life. Love is what you were built for. But listen, this is what, listen, this is, this is it. you got to hear this clearly. Perfect love will get you eternal life and happiness. And Jesus, the master storyteller, makes this brilliant turn in the conversation. And he says, yes, go and do that, and you'll live. So Jesus takes the brilliant philosopher, the, the legalist, the, the, you know, everything's out of the theoretical and theological. He says, yes, love is the answer. Perfect love with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your heart, and love your neighbor like yourself. That's it. Now go do it and live. Now, if you understand this, many of us, sometimes we don't really understand what's going on. We're like, yes, see, I knew it. Life's all about love. I love it. And we don't understand that this is not good news. Jesus is a great teacher, and great teachers know how to set good traps for their students. And Jesus has just backed this lawyer into a corner. What must I do to get to heaven? Love God and love others with all your strength, all your heart and all your mind. 
Now go do that. I hate to say this, but about 90% of the sermons preached today will be that. You're supposed to love. Go do that. That is not the gospel. That is not good news. The majority of the world's religions end right there. Here's the list. Go do it. You want to please God? Here's the to-do list. Go make it happen, and he'll like you. Do these things. Act this way. Go obey these rules. Most religions end there. This is not where Christianity ends. It's where Christianity begins. See, Islam is a prison that ends there. Here's the list. Here's how many times you have to pray. Here's what you have to say when you pray. Here's your five things. Go do it and live. It's a prison. Most religions end there. Here's the good things. You want to be a good person, not a bad person? Go do these things. I want you to do this today. Christianity is not in there. Christianity begins there. Christianity begins at the end of yourself. You have to realize and understand that you cannot love like this. This is Jesus backing this guy into a corner with a little bit of breadcrumbs and doing it ever so subtly. He's backing this really good, moral, legalistic, religious leader, backing him into a corner of his own trap by his own making. And he's trying to get this religious leader to admit, you're not good enough. You fail your own standards. This religious leader, he's a good religious leader. He's going to fight back. He's memorized all the loopholes. So he's going to, well, maybe if I can start arguing about this, then I can get them off track and make it not about me anymore. Right? So when God, when, this is God's standard, God's standard is impossibly high. So when God begins to move in your life, you should feel, this is, this is what I mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better. When God begins to move in your life, you should feel an impossible, crushing weight Right? A, just a crushing weight of impossible expectations upon you. You should feel the weight of that. Go love perfectly. Love God more, like me, than Alabama football. Right? Love God more than the, than the, the new sale, you know, the sale rack at Mon Mar. Right? Love God more than whatever your thing is. Love Him more. Love Him ultimate. Love Him above all things. More than my beautiful three-week, two-week-old little baby. Love God more than that. The standard is impossibly high. We should feel the crushing weight of that. You must be perfect. You must love perfectly. The standard was meant to crush us. We were meant to see, I can't do this. But Jesus, like I said, he's talking to an expert in religion. This guy has perfected the art of deflecting the conviction of God by finding some way to weasel his way out. He's looking for an exit clause. He's trying to get Jesus to admit that there's got to be some fine print down there, Jesus. Like, love perfectly? Come on, give me the fine print. Let me know the, the back door in. Let me know the secret. What's the secret? This is an impossible standard. I know that I am awesome, so I've got to... You know, I've got to get in here somewhere. So how do I get in here, Jesus? And Luke, the writer, Luke shows us the lawyer's hand. 
He reveals his motives. And it says that the lawyer was desiring to justify himself. Like I said, this is the key to the passage. The lawyer is trying to justify himself. When confronted with his inability to obey. When he's confronted with his inability to obey Jesus' commands of love, the lawyer doesn't repent. The lawyer starts justifying himself. Listen, this man thought that he could justify himself before a holy God. He thought that he was actually capable of earning eternal life on his own. And Jesus, for all the people out here that say, yes, I'm so glad we have grace, listen to me. Jesus doesn't confront this man and say, hey, no, you're, you're a legalist. No, forget about the law. Forget about it and just, hey, baby, you know, peace, love, and happiness, right? Just grab a beer and be happy. Jesus doesn't say that. Just chill. Jesus lets, he wants him feel, to feel the weight of his own legalism. He wants this man, listen, to be confronted and to be crushed by his own standard. That's when we really feel deflated, isn't it? Isn't that when you really feel like, you, like life isn't worth living or you really feel like a failure? Isn't when you fail other people necessarily, but when you fail your own standard? I'm not that type of person. I would never do that. And you do it. You're caught in your own trap. And you look down at other people that, that live a certain way or spend their money a certain way or or listen to certain things, or wear certain things, or go certain, or whatever, and then you find yourself accidentally, you don't realize that you're backed into a corner by Jesus, and you realize, I do those things, and you're crushed by that? I'm a hypocrite. Or maybe you're really good at deflecting that conviction. Well, yeah, but you're living with your boyfriend, living with your girlfriend. Well, but we're in love, so it's okay. Deflect. You're, really, you're lazy, but I'm single, man. It doesn't really matter. I'll be responsible when I get married. Right? You feel the weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we deflect, desiring to justify ourselves. What happened was, see, it's different for me because I grew up with this type of family on this type of neighborhood. and, and See, but I was really trying to desire over and over and over to justify ourselves. Jesus is trying to get this really good, really upright, really moral person to admit that they're not good enough. They can't justify themselves. They can't stand before a holy God and say, yep, I deserve to be in. I'm good enough. Look, look how I raised my kids. Look, look how I went to church. Look, look how I, I gave money. Look how I did the None of us are good enough to stand before a holy God and justify ourselves. But all of us want to. So what does he say? When confronted with his inability to live this perfect life of love, what does a lawyer do? He tries to justify himself by finding an escape cause. Wow, just who is my neighbor? Right? Love your neighbor like yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? He's thinking, my friends? People I really like? Well, I love them well. <laughs> I think I got, I'm doing this, Jesus, actually. Thank you for pointing out how awesome I am again. Right? He's trying to justify us, just like we all do. Just like we all do. How many of us in this room right now are doing the same thing? 
When you're confronted with your inability to love like God called us to love, when you're confronted with your inability to live the life that God has called us to live, do you justify yourself or do you repent and receive his grace? Tim Tim Keller quotes a Gallup poll, I love it, that says, 90% of all people think that they love better than most people. 90% of all people think they love better than most people. So if I were to ask you, do you love better than most people? Actually, I do. (laughs) I'm an awesome lover, actually. We have this innate ability to justify ourselves. We always compare ourselves with the people that we think we're better than. So in our mind, when we get confronted with the weight of our sin, many times we're like, but I'm not like that guy. We compare ourselves and we justify ourselves. If you think, you're reading this and you think, you know what, I do love like this. I do love with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do love my neighbor as myself. I am doing this pretty well. Then you'll never understand Christianity. You think you're doing this, you'll never get it. You just don't understand how you are not right with God. In your own strength, you are not right with God. With your own standard, you are not right with God. Jesus has got this guy backed into a corner, and he's trying to get this religious leader to admit, which is really hard. Okay? I'm an I'm a pretty religious dude, okay? I'm a firstborn, I am moralistic, I am I can be legalistic, but by the grace of God, and it's hard, man. I hate this about myself, but you better have your argument pretty airtight if you're going to confront me with something. Because I'm going to be like, well, but I would do it. You know this scripture too, right? I started a fire over here so I could run away, right? I got his eyes off you. Yes, it worked. But the Holy Spirit, I love Charles. Charles Spurgeon calls the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. He smells blood and he comes after you. You will not lose your trail. God is coming after us this morning. So Jesus is trying to get this guy to admit, I'm not good enough, I can't do it on my own, I can't make myself right before a holy God. Jesus backed this guy in the corner and trying to get him to admit that. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, in one of her uh, novels, there's a statement in there, and it says, talking about a religious boy, that he thought he could avoid Jesus by avoiding sin. He thought he could avoid Jesus by avoiding sin. I want you to hear that. Basically, this boy was so good, he thought, I don't need Jesus, I don't need religion, I don't need any of that stuff, because I'm a good person. If I, just, if I just stay away from the big sins, then I don't need Jesus. I can be my own redeemer, I can be my own savior. Many of us, especially older brother types, if you remember the story from three weeks back, older brother types try to justify ourselves by our behavior. Try to justify ourselves by being really good. Jesus goes after this lawyer, just like he comes after every single one of us that he chooses to reveal himself to. And this, like I said, is where Christianity begins. This is where it begins, right here. I am worse than I ever thought possible. I cannot justify myself. Completely naked before the cross, completely broken, Christianity begins with the admission that I have Nothing to offer him. I am, as Jesus said, spiritually bankrupt. I am poor in spirit. I cannot justify myself before God. I cannot clean myself up enough to make myself look good enough to be worthy for salvation. I can't do it. This is where Christianity begins. And this is what every other religion tries to deny. 
Every religion says, you can be good enough. You can do it. All you need is more discipline, more rules. Christianity says, nope. The worst thing you ever thought possible. Once you see that, once you've really come to the end of yourself, Jesus now has you backed into a corner and he has you perfectly positioned to reveal himself to you. Christianity begins right here. When you can see God's love for you while you're still a sinner. Christianity begins when you see God's love for you. Christianity is about real, self-sacrificial love. And real love, listen to this, real love only comes, real love only comes from a heart changed by grace. You can't legal up. You can't, you can't suck it up and make real love happen. You know you can't. You can do some things, but you can't make it happen. Real love comes from a heart that's been radically changed by grace. And a heart changed by grace pours out. Listen, a heart changed by grace pours out to the least of these. It pours out to those who cannot repay. It pours out even to a person's enemies. Let's go back to the story here. We got the guy backed in the corner, religious leader all backed up, right? He's trying to justify himself. So Jesus answers with the story. Let's start uh, in the story, verse 30. Jesus replied, so he says, who's my neighbor, right? Who's my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now this Jericho road was a rough part of town. It's a rough road, right? Hooligans hung out there, okay? It's similar, if you're going down the road at 3 o'clock in the morning in some of the roughest neighborhoods of Davenport, this is what we're talking about going down the Jericho road. Not a great place to be by yourself. Okay? This is where we're at. And this man fell among robbers, so he got jumped, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay? So the guy got jumped, he's half dead, he's laying in the gutter. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Okay? A priest, you can think of a pastor, you can think of a guy who works full-time in the temple serving God. It's a religious man. Right? This is a church-going dude. Let's just throw that out there. He's walking by. He sees this person that's been jumped. And what does he do? He crosses to the other side. Why? Now listen, this is the key here. Why? Why does the religious person look at the person jumped on the Jericho Road and walk by? The priest. Scholars, they've got a lot of different theories about this, but the general consensus is, he looks at him and says, Oh, he must be a thug. Oh, Probably one of those guys. Last night, he's probably selling drugs. That's what he gets. Man. And not only that, this is a risk. I mean, he's, you know, if you're in New York City and it's early in the morning and you're going down a back alley, right, and you see somebody walk, you see somebody laying there, you're like pinned against the other side of a brick building, right? And you're praying to God that this person doesn't rob you or mug you. You're thinking in your mind, this person is dangerous to my well-being. This could cost me my life. I'm going to stay on the other side of the road. This is what the priest saw. I want you to think about this. The priest saw, wow, that guy's really messed up. That could hurt me. That could danger me. That could scar me. 
I want to stay on the side of the road. He'd go. So likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite is another, is a person who served the priest. Okay, so he worked in the church um, as well, and he served the priest. So we've got another good going church person. Let's just call this person a deacon. Let's just call this person a good church member. Okay? When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Now, you never know. This guy might be, he might just be scared. He might just be thinking, I don't want to get killed. I don't want to get, but he might be looking at that person also and saying, you know what? I wonder what they did. I bet they deserve this. I bet this, maybe this is judgment from God. Maybe they're a drug dealer. Maybe they're whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm going to stay over here. I'm going to keep myself safe. i got a family at home. i got responsibilities. i got things to worry about. I'll keep myself safe. It goes along the outside. But, a Samaritan. Now, if you know anything about the context of this day and age, Samaritans were their sworn enemies. Okay? They were basically a sect from the Jews who kind of created, they kind of mingled with the, the culture and created their own religion. Uh, they kind of take, took parts of the Pentateuch, parts of the Old Testament, and kind of blended it with polytheistic religion. So the Jews hated them. They would wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you that I'm not a Samaritan. That's how they, they would pray that in the morning. They hated Samaritans. Now, the only way I can illustrate this was to, was to say this, possibly, you know, in the last few years, think of yourself, an American, uh, coming along with a... a, a a jihadist, an Islam Muslim jihadist, that kind of animosity, that kind of ooh, turmoil, that kind of angst. This guy, a sworn enemy, a Samaritan, what does he do? Let's keep looking. Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. I want you to see three things first off from this good Samaritan. Number one, he risked his life. He was a sworn enemy. He risks his life because he has compassion. Now we're going to get to why in a minute, which is the big picture, but I want you to keep reading it. What does he do? He He had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds. Pouring oil and on, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and he gave him to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will pay you." Listen, the Samaritan responds generously with meeting his physical needs. He doesn't. Oh man, wow, that's rough. Let me pray for you. Right? He gets his hands dirty. A Samaritan, a sworn enemy. He gets his hands dirty. He mends his wounds. He pays two days' wages for an enemy to be put up in the hospital, to be taken care of. And then he says, if there's any more, just charge it to me. I'll pay it on the way back. So the good Samaritan risks his life. He doesn't just pray for him. He provides care. He destroys his schedule. Obviously, the Samaritan isn't just skipping along, right, smelling the roses. He's going somewhere to to stop, to move over. He's probably got appointments. He's probably got meetings. He's probably got to cancel things. He's going and he meets this guy. He completely destroys his schedule. He pays his debts and he provides long-term care. This isn't just sentimental. 
Sorry for all the conservative, right-wing people that just, oh, that poor guy, that Samaritan, that guy needs to pull himself up by his bootstraps. That's what God needs to do. Teach a man to fish. Right? The Samaritan helps him physically, pays his debts, meets his physical needs, shows compassion on him. And he does it for his sworn enemies. Well, staunch conservatives. He does it for a liberal. The mark of a heart that has been changed by grace is extreme. Because grace is extreme. It will pour out to the least of these, to the marginalized, to the poor, to the broken, to the lost. Now listen, I want you to hear this. Those legalists who, you've been backed into a corner, and now you're about to come out swinging, I want you to hear this. These works, these acts of love, these acts of compassion, they do not justify you. They do not make you right before God. But they are proof that you have been justified by God. When you see a tree, and that tree right now in the middle of, what is this, in July? Is this right? Yes, July. I've got three kids now, okay? Give me a break. <laughs> In the middle of July, you don't look at those trees, you don't look at those leaves and go, oh, those leaves, they must have made that tree healthy. Those leaves did not make the tree healthy. Those leaves are proof that the tree itself is healthy. So what's the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan? Is the Good Samaritan the good one? And you know, those those two words are like oxymorons. I hope you know that. Right? Good Samaritan? Oh, he's a good jihadist. What? Listen, what's the difference between them? Jesus is brilliant. He's a brilliant storyteller. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a religious leader. Now, if a religious leader was in this story, who do you think he plays? What what role do you think he plays? What was different between the good Samaritan? And that does sound like a joke, right? I know, a priest and a Levite and a good Samaritan walk into a bar and right, what happens? Listen, <laughs> what was different? I want you to hear this today because this is to us, this is to all the older brother types, this is to those who are trying to earn their way to God and try to make him happy by something they're doing. The good Samaritan saw himself in the destitute man. Good Samaritan walked on that road and he looked and he saw someone poor, broken, wounded, left for dead. And he says, That's me. The priest and Levi goes, Duh! Sick. They really need to clean up these streets. I pay my taxes and they go, What? This guy sit here? The religious guy sees somebody else. That's beneath him, that's lower than him. The Samaritan sees somebody that's equal. Until when Jesus said this, right? Blessed, they're those who will see God who are poor in spirit, right? They are spiritually bankrupt. Until you realize that you are the guy on the side of the road. And the good Samaritan is not you. Jesus Christ is the good Samaritan. He's the one who comes after the lost and the broken and the wounded and the destroyed. He's the one that comes after them. 
In other places, he was called a Samaritan. When the religious leaders got so mad, they didn't know what else to call him. You, you Samaritan. We got other names that are a little better these days that they could come up with, but they called him the Samaritan. Until you see Jesus as the only good Samaritan, you will never be empowered to be a good Samaritan to anybody else. To serve with a loving heart anybody else. Jesus has found us on the side of the road of our lives. We weren't just half dead. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were completely dead. We were dead dead in our sins. We had nothing to offer him. But he took us in. Thank you, Jesus. He justifies us. He cleanses us. He makes us right with God. Jesus has done all of the work. This is why he died. He died to make us right with the Father. He has served us. Jesus has served us, and only by letting Jesus serve us will we be able to serve others like this. This is where true Christianity begins. Real love begins when you don't have what it takes. When you admit, I don't have what it takes. I'm reading the story. I'm not the good Samaritan. I'm the one half dead. This is who I am. This is what Christ has done for me. Religious people walk by. Religious people fail. Every person fails. Jesus Christ never fails. When I'm at my worst, he's at his best. Real love begins when you don't you see when you don't have what it takes, but God has poured his love on you through the death and resurrection of his son. When you're captured by God's love for you, when you're captured by it, when he wounds you, he gives you a heart wound. You'll be free to love others and serve others. A heart of love. I started praying about this and thinking about this. What would this city look like? This is how we lived. What? And I, when I say that, I don't mean we went out and acted like good Samaritans. But we were loved. We felt the love of the good Samaritan. We felt the love of him. We saw ourselves how we really are. And we felt the grace, the one-way favor, the one-way love of the Father toward us. We had that affection with our Father. We would be free to love like this? What would our city look like if people, if religious people didn't look down their noses at the broken? But we served. We laid our life down for the least of these, for those who can't repay us, for places that don't give us a t-shirt for serving. I served today, and now I get to wear this shirt the rest of the year. <laughs> Can you put servant on the back? Please. We're the guy on the side of the road. I'm far worse than I ever thought. But listen, that's the first part I told you. I'm far worse than I ever thought. I cannot justify myself. But listen, here's the second part. I'm more loved than I ever hoped. I'm far worse than I ever thought possible. But I'm more loved than I ever dreamed about. At the same time. God doesn't save us and then send us on our way and say, go do that now. 
that's meant to crush us. We can only do any of that thing through, be, through being reminded of his gift to us, through being reminded of what he's done for us in the gospel. I was poor, Christ took me in. Do you think about that? I was dead, Christ made me alive. I was lost, Christ found me. This is how the gospel makes Christians into servants. As it say, good Christians serve. It says, do you see how Jesus served you? Does that move your affections? Does that stir your heart? Does that awaken you? When you're served, you respond by serving. Jesus Christ radically laid his life down for us, and out of a grace-filled heart, we radically lay down our lives for those in this city. We are a church, we say, a church for the city. Our desire isn't to build a big congregation. Our desire is to send out missionary servants into this city to lay their lives down for their neighbors, for their brothers, for their sisters, for their friends, for their co-workers, in such a way, in such a way, it shows people what God is like. It's radical. And I pray to the power of God's Spirit that He would do this in our hearts today. This is a special service because we get to baptize. Um, Actually, I want to pray first. Father, I thank you for the story. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that trying to justify yourself is exhausting. Never measuring up and continually trying to is exhausting. Grace is freedom. Pray that you would offer grace every person in this room to it. Let your Holy Spirit would move in their heart and they would respond with faith and believe. Give them the freedom, the love to walk in this newness of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do a couple things here. I'm going to, we're going to play a video of a couple in our church who God has moved in their heart and through missional community and just through understanding the gospel. And uh, it's a pretty powerful story. But I want you to be thinking about this. Listen, this is something I've just kind of... Um, go ahead. People are against that. Just go ahead. Um, if you're in this room today... If you're in here today and you say, Justin... Um, Maybe you're a religious type. Maybe you're a good moral person. And you say, Justin, I'd like, I'd like to be baptized. I think I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to take a step to be baptized. We, we're going to offer this. It's called the spontaneous baptism. Uh, we've got five going to be baptized today. They've already went through the process. And they've already really understand it. But if you're in this room and you say, Justin, um, I feel the Spirit of God speaking to me. And I've never been baptized. And I would like to be baptized. We've got clothes for you in the back. We've bought that you can change into, and we can baptize you today as well. Um, based on the profession of your faith. So if that's you, you can just go ahead and go on in the back. 
as this video plays, maybe the spirit will stir in your heart um, as this video plays. So, um, I think we're going to go ahead and roll it. Can we turn the lights down or anything, Tyler? God is at work. God is on the move. As C.S. Lewis says in Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. And it is. And it feels so good to be a part of this. Um, one of the things that marks a gospel-centered church, is what we call ourselves a gospel-centered missional church, is that we want to see two types of people saved. Many times, we're used to seeing one. We're used to seeing the younger brothers come back to Christ. We're used to seeing the younger brothers who have walked away, and they're, they spent their life partying, and they're the drug addicts and the alcoholics, and we see this type of people that just blew up their life. They come to Christ, and, and we cheer that. And rightly so. It's great. It's good news. But listen... When the gospel is proclaimed, when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is demonstrated through its implications in a church, you should have the younger brothers coming to repentance, and you should have the older brothers coming to repentance. You should have religious people that have been good all their life. And the gospel finally awakens them, and they finally make sense. You should have people like this religious lawyer we read about today that say, I am that bad. And today we've, we've got a few of those stories, so... Um, it does my heart well. I'm really excited that we we're you know we're baptizing. We've got one you know one professed atheist that we're baptizing today, but we've got a lot. We've got four other religious people that went to church their life, and and uh, and God has saved them and converted them this in the past few months, and it's just been a thrill. So whoever I don't care what order we do it, let's do it. Joel, if you want to come up and just wherever you are. Play some guitar. Now it's ranking. All right, brother. Go ahead and sit in there. Is it warm? We got Drake Epkis here on uh, Skype. Where are you at? He's in Turkey. The country. Just throw it on there. Good friend, right? They're good friends here, so we wanted to Skype it in. Uh, Alex, I, I got to read your story, and I was pretty encouraged by how God's been pursuing you, and He's been calling you for a long time, and over the past month, it sounds like, six weeks, right now, that um, He's really moved into your heart and regenerated you, and you're like jumping, you've been like, let's do this, I need to be baptized, and that's just evidence of God's grace and the Spirit of God in your heart, so I'm really encouraged by that. Alex has been back home from, from school for about a month and a half now. He's been coming to services and coming to our missional community. Alex, it's been so encouraging to see the gospel take root in your heart and just to see the new desires and, and affections for Jesus come out. And we were talking on Fight Club the past couple weeks, and he said that he wanted to make the decision to get baptized. So it's great. Awesome. I don't want my butt in the way of.
embarrass you by reading your whole story. Um, I can summarize it pretty well. Randy's, a, Randy's been a good old boy. Raised by German parents, worked hard, raised a good family, loved his wife, and loved his kids. Um, and liked to keep to himself. <laughs> and he came into our Mishnah community, uh, and God had some weird plans, because the nights he came into our Mishnah community were the deepest, heaviest, Nights where I'm like, oh, no, those nights. Uh, Bridget announced uh, the testimony that you heard today. Um, that was his first time there. It's like, ah, oh. right? And we didn't think we'd ever see him again, honestly. But it's a testimony of God's grace and his affection for you and, and your family. And he has pursued you. And he's softened your heart. And he's, he's doing an awesome work in you and your boys. And I'm thrilled to be a tiny part of it, at least get to look in and watch it. Randy, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you ready to take this next step and be baptized? Randy, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's been after you, brother. 
Brody, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You ready to take the next step and be baptized? Alright. I baptize you based on the profession of your faith in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
That's just the grace of God. Mom, do you have anything to say? Um, I was there when she was baptized when she was nine. Um, I taught her in the, we were in a small church, and uh, I was her teacher growing up. And uh, it's important for me to know that she lives her faith every day. Uh, you know, I'm around young people all the time. I work at the high school, and I've been around youth groups and Justin and different things, and it's it's so important to see that, that faith alive when they go off to college especially. You just never know as a parent what's going on in their head, no matter how much you talk to them. What they confront there is just unbelievable. And uh, they become that bubble, you know, of protection of, of their own self. And um, it's just important for me to see her grow and know that uh, she has to face this world on her own with God's help. And he will be your strength. Is Jesus Christ Based on the profession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, celebrate in the Lord's Supper this morning. We do this every week. And for us, um, the, Lord's, the Lord's Supper is protected, and it's, it's heavy, it's weighty, it's meaningful. Um, we, we only allow baptized believers to take part in the supper, so the ones that were baptized today, this is their first time getting to take part in communion with us, so it's a very, it's a big, it's a celebration for us. So if the men, if the men would come, and uh, uh, the kids are upstairs, but they're going back down, so the parents don't worry about it. The workers of God will want to let them see the baptism. So if the men who are serving would come this morning. Father, I thank you for this meal. I thank you that you are the good Samaritan, that you came after us, and that you provided for us sustenance. You provided for us something that we need outside of ourselves, and you prepared it for us, and uh, you give it to us, and all we do is take it. Father, I pray uh, this would be real to us. I thank you for this gift. I thank you for the new believers, new members of the family of God who get to partake with us today as we are servants sent out into the world. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this meal. In Jesus' name. Amen.